Well, good morning. My name is Tommy Clayton, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Life Church. And if this is your first time with us, then I welcome you on behalf of our church and our leadership. We are in the middle of a series in Mark's Gospel, chapters 4 and 5, and it's called Encounters with Jesus. And it's four accounts of people who had a life-changing encounter with the Lord. They, they met him actually on the very same day. All this is jam-packed together. And they left, and they were never the same. And I think that God intends for us to never be the same when we study these encounters that they had. If you were paying attention when Uriah read the story, you noticed something really interesting. This is a story that Mark kind of repeats, the, the, at least the theme of this story. It's, a lot of people call this a Markin sandwich because he takes two stories and weaves them together into one. And this story is really all about delays. Delays. I hate delays, don't you? I hate them. Because most of the time, we don't want them, so it's already instantly out of our control. And most of you that know me know that I have three idols that stand out, especially when they get stepped on and threatened. I just blow up. They are convenience, control, and comfort. And most of the, the delays that God brings into our life expose all three of those things. They're uncomfortable, they're inconvenient, and they're absolutely out of our control. I think one of the most relatable delays that we experience is when we travel, whether it's a, cha a traffic jam or whether it's a flight being delayed. You guys ever had that happen to you? Probably nobody in this room has ever experienced that, right? Well, I was studying the other day. I wanted to know what are the most famous or infamous flight delays. And I came across this one. It's really interesting. It's really short. <clears throat> it says, tempers grew short on an Etihad Airways flight when fog in Saudi Arabia, delayed takeoff for an agonizing 12 hours. Can you, be, can you imagine being stuck on the tarmac for 12 hours? And they, and they said this, there was no food and there was no accurate flight information. So they felt malnourished, uncared for, and they felt like they were left in the dark, absolutely out of their control. One passenger told reporters this, they kept telling us that we were going to leave. You know, 15 minutes from now, 20 minutes from now, 30 minutes from now, for 12 hours. How would you feel if you were on that plane, on that tarmac? The flight crew did not permit anyone to leave the plane. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> Saying that the airport was too crowded with other, with other stranded flights, so they were stuck, they were confused, and they were kept in the dark. And of course, they were angry too, like we would be we're human beings and we don't like things that are outside of our control. An Etihad Airways spokesman apologized to passengers for circumstances that were largely beyond its control. When they finally landed, passengers told this to reporters, everybody was fighting with each other, you think? <laughs> and the flight attendants were fighting with us and we were fighting with the flight attendants. Of course you were because your idols get exposed during delays. That happens in long delays when we don't know why they're happening or how long they're going to happen. We can't see behind it. We can't understand God's reasoning for the delays that he brings into our life or allows to come into our life. But today I want us to see in this story that delays are from God. And they teach us some very, very, very rich, valuable lessons. So um, that's going to be our outline. You can just pull it up real quick for everyone to see so that you can track and follow along. Delays expose our heart. That's the first thing that delays teach us. They expose our heart. They build God's church. 
delays, actually a lot of kingdom growth takes place during those delays, and delays highlight the cross. Now, when I say delays do all these things, it's actually God that does them, okay? Delays is just an, an agent, an instrument that he uses that we don't normally like. We don't usually pray for delays, you know? Nobody tells God to slow down, do they? Nobody does. I've never done that. It's God, hurry up, speed up, rush, what are you doing? So you can, you can put the theme back up. So that's what delays do. That's what God does rather through delays. He exposes our heart, he grows his church, and he highlights the cross. He's always doing those things. He doesn't always tell us that he's doing those things, and we don't, don't always initially see that from the outset, do we? I think it's really ironic. I've told you, Mark's gospel is the action gospel. Theologians call this the go gospel. If you read Mark's gospel at one sitting, just read it straight through, you're, you're exhausted, you're wearied. Jesus is all over the place. The disciples are moving. He's getting hemmed in by the crowds. He's, he's exercising demons. He's healing people. He's stilling storms. He's rebuking leaders. He's all over the map, and you're tired. But I find it ironic. Mark, the go gospel, the urgent writer that's rushing us through the life of Jesus to hurry and get to the end, almost deliberately seems to slow down here. In fact, you're annoyed. Did you know how long it took your eye to read that? <laughs> That's a long passage. You're a little bit annoyed. Come on, buddy. Let's go. Let's get to the action. You're honking the horn at this lady that you find in this story. What is she doing here? Jesus is on the way to heal this little girl. She's at the verge of death. And this old lady secretly comes up behind Jesus and touches his garments and interrupts everything. You're honking your horn saying, what is going on here? See, if you, if you were a writing agent, you would give Mark a thumbs up and say, that's great marketing. That's great writing. Keep people in suspense. Sell books. Barnes & Noble. You'll be on the front shelf. The books will be going dime a dozen, right? But if you're Jairus, you don't give a thumbs up to that at all. You're in agony. Can you imagine? Put yourself in the shoes of Jairus here. This is tormenting. This delay is absolutely agonizing. And I'm sure... Jairus really never says anything other than help me. But you can imagine, put yourself in his shoes, because listen, a lot of us are in his shoes. Delays are, are, are coming for us. They're painful, they're confusing, they're frustrating, they're annoying, right? If we're honest, they are. That's the way God's kingdom works sometimes. So here's the first thing that this delay does. It exposes our heart. Look at what he says here, starting in verse 21. A great crowd gathered around Jesus, and he was beside the sea, and then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death, come lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. Don't you love that? See, the last story we were talking about in Mark chapter Five, the very beginning, these demons were begging Jesus to send them away. And then the townspeople were begging Jesus to go away. They were imploring him, get away from our city, Jesus. They rejected him. They wanted him gone. But Jairus, on the other hand, comes and says, Jesus, please come. The village says, please go. And Jairus says, please come. Now, this must have been hard for Jairus. He was a ruler of a synagogue. He was a Jew. Most of the synagogues did not receive Jesus very well. In fact, some of his visits... Ended with them trying to push him off a cliff. Did you know that? So think of the humility it took for Jairus to humble himself in public. He's a powerful, rich, probably wealthy, top of the food chain insider. He's got dignity, nobility. And he had to run and, and, and lay prostrate in front of a Galilean carpenter. 
that a lot of the religious leaders had rejected. Took a lot of pride, but listen, one of the most precious things to him is at stake here, his daughter. His 12-year-old daughter is at the end. Some of you may have been in churches where you've heard fancy theological words like eschatology. Have you heard that word before? Do you know what that word means? It means final days, last things, utmost, extreme. It's, it's, it's a branch of theology that deals with the return of Jesus and the end of the world. It's called eschatology. That word comes from a Greek word, eschatos. That's the word that Jairus uses here. That's the, really the only thing he says in Greek. He comes to Jesus and he begs him and he says, please, my little daughter, eschatos. She's at the end. This is an emergency of an emergency of an emergency. She is breathing her last final breaths and he knows Time is of the essence. Every second counts. And he grabs Jesus and he begs him. He says, please. And you've got you've to know in his mind, he's thinking, I know I'm a Jew. I know I represent a group of people who have been antagonistic to you and hostile to you. I don't deserve this. But Jesus agrees and he goes instantly. Instantly. Matthew says this was Jairus' only daughter and she was 12. So in that culture, and that society... Maybe there were infertility issues. This would have been hit the apple of his eye. His only living offspring, he and his wife, and she was about to die, and he was desperate. And maybe you've been there too, and maybe you're there now. Maybe you're desperate, and you need Jesus to act right now on your behalf. And there's these delays that are coming, and you don't understand them. This story's going to encourage you, because listen, delays expose our heart. They expose our heart. We often think, God, fix this right now. And he says, how about this? How about I fix you? How about I work on you? How about transformation comes directed at the target of your heart first? Because that's what God is most interested in, is our hearts. That's what he wants. That's what he wants to change. But can you please use your sanctified imagination and put yourself in Jairus' shoes? The most important and precious thing to you is crumbling right before you, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus stops. I mean, you're reading this story and you get the sense of urgency. Everyone overheard Jairus. Everyone knows what's going on. Everyone is cheering Jesus on. Go, Jesus. Get there quickly. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus stops the entourage. I mean, this would have been the equivalent of an ambulance rushing somebody to the ER for life-giving care. And it stops in the middle of the road for a parade of ducks or something like that, right? Jesus stops out of nowhere and he says... Hang on a minute. Somebody touched me. Who touched me? And his disciples are probably pulling their hair out thinking, are you kidding me? We're in a crowd of people, Jesus. There's thousands of people here. And people are pressing in on you. And you say, you touched me? And Jesus says, no, I distinctly felt power go out from me. Look at this. This is crazy. This is ludicrous. Ludicrous. Who touched my garments? Who touched me? Verse 32. He looked around. To see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, told him the whole truth, there's a lot of time packed into that. A lot of time packed into that. How much time? Well, while she was telling him the whole truth and everyone's listening and Jesus maybe sat down and crossed his legs and everyone's uh, hit the pause button, Jairus' daughter died. She died. And the people that were so urgent now have turned into mourners. There's mourners that have already gathered at the house. Probably some commentaries say perhaps hours had gone by. Now you put yourself in Jairus' shoes. I don't have to unfold this. I don't have to, to color your imagination very much to, 
to ask you, what, how would you be feeling about Jesus right about then? How would you feel about Jesus? Would you be understanding and patient and say, he knows best. He's sovereign, wise, and kind. He's too good to be unkind. There's probably a really good reason behind this. And I'm sure it's worth my, the only precious thing that matters to me, dying. And him seeming to not care. You know, some people would say this is illogical. Others would say this is unreasonable. People in the medical community would say this is outright malpractice. Because this is somebody who has a chronic issue. Did you read? She's been suffering from this for how long? 12 years. 12 years. I think another hour would be okay, don't you? I mean, I think that'd be reasonable. 12 years, an issue of blood, not life-threatening. Probably a sad situation. She's probably depressed. She's probably sick of this. It rendered her unclean. We're going to talk about her more next week. She was unclean ritualistically. She couldn't touch people. She couldn't enter the tabernacle. But you know what, hon? It'll be okay. We'll get to you later. There's more important things going on right now in the life of Jesus. This would be chronic versus acute. I told you last year that I was on I-4 during bike week in my car in the middle of the day. It was hot. I think it was, I don't know when is bike week, March. It was already hot, blistering hot on the interstate. And I saw a young man riding a motorcycle get off his motorcycle on the side of the road, dash into the middle of traffic. He left his helmet on to pick something up off the highway that he dropped. And this semi loaded down with Mercedes Benz hit that kid. I've never seen impact like that in my life. It flung him through the air and flipped him, and he landed in a bloody heap in the middle of the highway. I was one of the first people that got there, and I thought, this kid's dead. There's no way he survived this. He was broken. There were things sticking out of him. He had his helmet on, but blood was coming out from his pores. He was groaning, and, and he couldn't even talk. His lungs were punctured. His ankle was broken. His arm was twisted. I know it's, it's very graphic. And there was a helicopter that came right away and touched down and was about to airlift him to the ER in Sanford. Now, let me just compare what this would have been like. The helicopter's about to touch down, uh, and, and, and the pilot stops, and they, and they take off again. And I say, well, what are you doing? And he goes, don't worry about it. We got a case of chicken pox over in Oveda. We got to go take care of them. Just hang in there, and we'll be back. That would have been the equivalent. That's malpractice. An ER doctor that didn't go to triage school and did something like this, he would get a lawsuit slapped on him, I can promise you. So what's going on here? <laughs> what in the world is going on here? There's a heart that's being exposed in this delay, and God knows exactly what he's doing. He did then, and he does now. And I, and I, just, I get the sense there's a lot of people that are facing delays in here this morning. I really do. And, and God, God has some encouraging truth for you this morning, guys. These delays are divine delays, and they come from the hands of a wise and a sovereign and a good God who is ultimately committed to your growth and your maturity and your sanctification. He wants you to be like him so desperately that he's willing to do anything that it takes, even hard things, painful things, that on this side of the delay, you're not going to understand. You're not going to understand it. You remember Jesus in the upper room? He was washing the disciples' feet. And Peter said, no, Lord, you're not going to do this. We, we view delays the same way. No, you're not doing that. You're not, you can't be doing this. And Jesus said this. He said it then and he still says it. What I'm doing to you now, you won't understand it, but you will later. It may be when you're in heaven. <laughs> he doesn't always give us the answers down here, folks, does he? 
But God says, you have to trust me. That's, a, that's what he said to Jairus. He looked at him and said, look, don't be afraid. Trust me, Jairus. Here's what I need from you right now. I need trust. I need you to exercise faith in me. Not in this circumstance. Not in what the people around you are telling you. Me. Follow me. See, Jesus won't be rushed. And you, when you know who Jesus is, you don't really want to hurry somebody like that when they're at work in your life, do you? He's not going to be, he is the man who will not be rushed. He refuses to be rushed. Not going to do it. We rush each other. We rush through life. We rush our employers and our employees and our siblings and our kids. I'm, all, I'm so guilty of this with my kids. Hurry, hurry, come on, come on, come on. My kids have to be thinking, what in the world? It's like we're just walking in a store. Why not I got to hurry everywhere? I read the other day where a grandmother is somebody who never says, hurry up. <laughs> it's a good description, isn't it? Some of you grandmas are like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, some people would say that this is malpractice, it's irrational. And listen, I'm sure, I'm sure that if I sat down with you right now as your pastor, and you told me the scenario of what's going on in your life, I would probably agree and say, you know what? What you're saying makes sense to me. I can't conceive of a reason why God would let something like this happen. I can't explain that to you. But listen, guys, here's what you have to understand. Here's so often what we do when it comes to this kind of thing. We think this delay is incompatible with God's love for me. We think that's what the disciples did in the storm. Remember a couple Sundays ago? They thought, this is not what I signed up for, this storm. God says, my love is compatible with these storms. And listen, you better be careful. You better be careful laying your concept of time over and against God's concept of time. Because listen, I can promise you this, eventually they will clash. It's a, it's a dangerous thing for a preacher to tell you something's relative, but I'm going to do that this morning, okay? Time is relative when it comes to God. <laughs> it is. It really is. A day with the Lord, a, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, right? It is. Time is relative to him. Because listen, for God to cure a little girl's fever, um, it, it doesn't take any more energy or power or strength or wisdom from God to raise somebody from the dead as it does to cure a fever. See, Jairus didn't have that information. And can I just be honest with you? There's a lot of information right now that you don't have about your life and your circumstance. If you did, you would understand what God's doing. And he might not give that information to you right now. We want it. We want God to turn the lights on and give us the blueprint and send us the memo and the email and explain this mess of our life, what he's doing. And God says, no, I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to ask you for something that's, that's much better than that, faith. I'm going to ask you to walk by faith and not by sight because you're not always going to understand what I'm doing. And if you impose your sense of time and expectations on me, here's the big one, folks. You're never going to feel loved by me. See, that's the payoff that you get. That's the cost of putting your agenda that you have for God, replacing faith in God with that. You're never going to feel loved. You're going to feel bitter. You're going to be angry. Your soul is going to shrivel up, and you're going to languish. And I meet people like this all the time. Most of them are done with church. And you say, what happened? They say, yeah, I used to believe in that stuff. I used to believe in God, but he failed me. He let me down. And you know what? If you dig a little bit, what you often find is that he failed me was a delay. <laughs> and they jumped ship. And they said, I'm not serving a God like this. And you know what? They missed out. They missed out. Tim Keller had a great quote. He said this. I think I wrote it down somewhere. Maybe I didn't. That's okay. I'll read you another quote that's just as good. Okay, here we go. 
(laughs) We think, why isn't everything going exactly the way I planned? The answer is, we're not God. Isn't that good? I didn't need Tim Keller to tell you that. We already know that. We're not God. But listen, he goes on and he says this. Therefore, the self-righteousness that needs to be knocked out of our hearts, the self-centeredness that needs to be knocked out of our hearts to a great degree it's knocked out of our hearts by these delays. It's true, guys. We're filled so often with self-centeredness and self-righteousness. And the whole world is revolving around us. God says, I love you too much to let you live like that. You're going to bring a delay. It's going to be painful. That's what sanctification is, guys. God calls it pruning. If you're a plant, that word scares you. <laughs> right? If you're a flower, you like that word because that means blossom, flourishing, life, growth. That means the roots are going down, going to go down deeper, and, and the sprouts are going to go up higher, and there's going to be beauty. And people are going to look at your life and say, dang, what is that? It's the painful work that only God can do. And it requires faith. That's the response that God calls on from us. See, we want God to work in a flash and come right when we need him, kind of like, kind of like this. Can we pull this up? This is how we want God to work for us. Like that, right? We want that flash. Come, God. Come now. Hurry. But so often, this is the flash that we get. Remember this guy? Yeah. Flash, flash, 100-yard dash. We get the sloth at the DMV, right? But God knows what he's doing. He's wise, and he's sovereign, and he's good. And listen, his sense of timing will never match ours. You guys know all about that time thing, that relative thing. When you married, <laughs> see, I just got to be, I can't see my father-in-law. I don't know if he's here this morning. It's probably better if he's not, okay? Because I married Sarah Marshall. She became Sarah Clayton. Honey, I'm sorry. I had, to, I had to use this. It just works. And I'm a Clayton, okay? I'm a Clayton. And Claytons get there 10 minutes early. We do. Always have. I learned that at an early age. I would be sitting with my dad in our carport in the car He'd be glancing at his watch, and we're waiting on my mom and my sister, uh, sometimes my brother, to get in the car to go to church. That was just life for me, for better or for worse. That was life, and and it was a good thing. I learned discipline. My dad taught me that. To be early is to be on time. And so I married Sarah. (laughs) Oh, my word. And God God really helped me, but, man, it wasn't pretty. It was, we were like this a lot because, (laughs) is Danny here? (laughs) Because, listen. When her family got together for a reunion or for anything, (laughs) it's like 15 minutes. You don't even need to even text or call or apologize unless it's like 30 minutes late. In fact, we strategically now, because I get it now. I'm over it. When we do things with their family, we just lie. If it's at 3 o'clock, we say it's at 2 and everybody's happy. (laughs) It's the truth. It's the truth. Time is relative in families and cultures. If we were down in South America, the culture there has a totally different view of time than we do. And listen, it's true in the church, too. God's sense of timing. Our emergencies and our crises, God doesn't freak out with us. That doesn't mean he doesn't care. It means he's wise and he's sovereign and he knows what he's doing. God will not be rushed. And listen, here is is, is something else. Sometimes things get worse before they get better. That's true, and that still doesn't mean that God is turning loose of you. It just means the stakes are raised a little bit, right? And guys, this has always been the case. This has always been the case because, and I know I mention this a lot, 
That's why I abhor prosperity preaching. I do. And it's a, it's a very uh, subtle thing that happens when prosperity preachers are telling you that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and be popular and be ripped and, and to have, you know, 500 friends and all these things that the Bible never promises, ever, should be expected for a Christian, Okay. When they do those things, then, then we have this expectation, okay, um, then God's going to show up just in the nick of time and everything's going to be great, I'm, and I'm going to trust him for that. But guys, you read this story, don't you see this? This blows that whole nick of the time thing out of the water. God, do, God doesn't consult Nick to see what his time expectations are, okay? The nick of time here came and went. She's dead. She died. They send messengers. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. It's too late. He's too late. It's over. So we have to be careful which voice of truth we're listening to. You know, God, and, and, and sometimes when those delays come and we think, well, God's going to show us right away what it's for. No, he doesn't. I was reading, reading through the Old Testament. I read this the other day. I should have put this up on the screen, but I forgot. I'm sorry. Listen to this carefully. I've kind of pieced this together for you. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebecca to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Now, you know, Isaac was the offspring of Abraham. And through him, all the nations would be blessed. And Abraham's name, father, father of a multitude, that promise would come to fruition, right? So they're expecting right off the bat, kids. So God united Rebekah and Isaac, but she was barren. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. That's awesome, isn't it? But, but if you keep reading that narrative, listen to this. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Now, if you're not careful when you read stories like that, you don't pick up on, and you didn't pick up on it, did you? Isaac was... 60 years old when she bore them. Let me read the beginning. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife, and she was barren. Do the math. Do the math. 20 years. 20 years of barrenness. 20 years of saying, God, where is this promise you made to us? This was your idea, God, not my idea. Back then, they didn't have fertility treatment clinics, okay? Can you imagine Rebekah looking at Isaac? It's you. No, it's you. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm the son of Abraham. It's you. <laughs> the times they cry themselves to sleep, there's delays all over the place. And there's, there's not always this aha, epiphany moment. Two decades. That's over. That's almost half my age. Well, it's over half my age. But that's a long time, guys. That's a long delay. Happened in the New Testament. When Lazarus was sick and Jesus intentionally delayed for two more days until Lazarus died. And the kicker in that story is the way it opens. Now the Lord loved Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. <laughs> That's the way you treat people you love? You intentionally delay? Yeah, it is. Because God's teaching us lessons. His schedule doesn't always sync with ours. His blessing doesn't always come when we want it to, does it? Seems to be the exact opposite. That's why the psalmist said, My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. The morning always comes, but it never comes early, does it? It's precisely that, at that point that Jesus calls you and I to not be afraid, but to believe. 
to not mistake an agenda for God with faith in God. Not to come to Jesus with this blueprint for our life that we want and, and say, okay, let's get started on that. Because again, you're going to be frustrated and you're not going to feel loved by him. Or worse, here's the worst thing that can happen. You offer that blueprint to God and in his providence, he grants that to you. And you feel like, man, I've earned this and I've worked really hard. And so you get this whole works-based relationship with Jesus. I work hard. I pray. I have my quiet times. I'm a good boy. And Jesus comes through. And then the day comes when it doesn't work that way. Because <laughs> it doesn't work that way anyway, you know. And then you're, you're another statistic. Yeah, I used to follow God, but he, he failed me. I don't believe in him anymore. That's what happens so often. And that's the premise beneath that complaint is that if God loves us, we should never have these kinds of delays. And that's just patently untrue. I don't know what Jairus was thinking, but Jesus knew. And that's why he looked at him and he said, Jairus, don't be afraid. There's always this pitting against fear and faith in the New Testament, isn't it? This is what one person said. I believe what Jesus is doing when he looks at Jairus and he says, trust me, he's kind of looking over Jairus' head at all of us. And he's basically saying, my grace and love are compatible with what seems to you to be unreasonable, illogical, irresponsible delays. It's not, I will not be hurried, but I love you anyway. It's, I will not be hurried because I love you. I know what I'm doing. If you insist on imposing your schedule and timing on me, you will never feel loved by me, and it will be largely your fault. You will never feel loved by me, and it will be largely your fault. See, the gospel is not about us. It's for us, but it's not about us. We're not at the center, right? And you can say the same thing about Jesus. He's for you. He's just not about you. There's a, there's a thin line between those things. You may be in a situation right now, and God's not acting on your Time scale, so you don't feel loved by him. You feel rejected. You feel hurt. You feel like God is not making time for you. And listen, what is it? I mean, we could fill in so many blanks in here. Is it the spouse that you've been waiting on for a long time and been praying for for a long time? And God's just not delivering. Is it this health issue that you've had? Is it an unbelieving child or rebellious child or an unbelieving parent? Is it this marriage that's just crumbling? And you're extending grace and extending grace and patience. And God just doesn't seem to be working it out. There's this delay. What is it? So many things. You're stuck in a job that you hate? Hey, can I tell you this? Just being honest, I'm so encouraged right now. We have had record attendances at this church the last several weeks. We don't talk about that a lot. It seems so self-serving and putting a feather in your hat. It's the Lord doing it. We're seeing a lot of guests. People are growing. Lives are being changed. But I just want to be honest with you. I wanted this thing to blow up. I wanted every seat in this auditorium to be filled. And I wish, I wish I could tell you that my motives are pure. I hear people say that all the time. Don't say that because they're never pure. They're never perfect. I th we think that we, we can't even tell when they're pure, when they're perfect. Only one human being ever had pure motives, and it was Jesus. I want to think my motives are pure. I want people to hear the gospel. I want to, I want to baptize people. I want to see God's kingdom grow. And we're in year three right? And we're doing what other churches, I think, I'm just, this is a family talk, okay? I think this church is unique because I have made a vow in my heart and Jeff has. Every single week, there's going to be things we don't do here that a lot of other churches are doing, but I will tell you this, and you can hold us accountable to this, the thing we're going to do every week, when you come here, you're going to hear the gospel. 
We're going to take you to the cross as quickly and as clearly and as powerfully as we can. That's my pledge to you. That's been my pledge to the Lord from day one. But listen, there seems to be a delay with like exponential growth here. You know, and I'm like, Lord, I'm not wearing skinny jeans. We don't have a fog machine. I don't have a faux hawk. There's not bells and whistles and a pony ride and mirrors and, and all these other churches are doing that and they're growing. But God, I'm wanting to honor you. You said in John 12, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We're lifting you up, Jesus. Where are all these people you're supposed to be drawing through this ministry? Delay. Delay. And God says, Tommy, don't be afraid. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. You're much more of a proud human being than you know. And nobody could tolerate you if this church exploded in the first year. <laughs> and, and you know what? God's right. He couldn't. God couldn't tolerate <laughs> No, God does tolerate me. Praise God. But maybe you couldn't. And Jeff and I have thanked God for the slow, measured growth these three years. Because, man, we're busy. We're meeting with people, counseling, doing outreach, leading home groups, having leadership meetings. We're busy. If there were a 1,000 people here, and I want there to be. Don't get me wrong, okay? I'm just saying, I'm just being honest with you and being transparent. What is the delay in your life that you're facing and being confronted with right now, and you're not feeling loved by God? What is it? Are you stuck in your career? Is this not what you had envisioned for your life after serving God like you have been doing? The delay's there, guys. I'm telling you, it's there, isn't it? Be encouraged by this story. Be encouraged by this story. He exposes our hearts. He exposes our hearts. Here's the second thing God's doing. He's building his church, and i got to hurry. He's building his church here. See, God is making a disciple in this story. Did you, you realize that? Do you know what would not have happened if God would have said, Up, oh, I don't have time. Take the healing and go. That's what she wanted. This woman was afraid. She was ashamed. She was ritualistically unclean. And she wanted to get a secret healing, crisis management, and duck away into the crowd. And Jesus said, No, because I'm about to transform this woman's life, and I'm going to make a disciple. I'm going to make a follower. You know, Jesus does that in our delays. Does it all the time. Your kids are watching how you handle those delays. Other people are seeing God at work in you. It's interesting. We're going to talk more about this next week. But the end of this story for this woman says, uh, what does he say here? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. The word used there is the word for salvation. I believe that woman just wanted to be healed and, and walk away. And God saved her soul. She confessed her faith in Christ. And he made a disciple. And God is still doing that. And at times, if we don't see that, it aggravates us in these delays. You know, for years, I read this story, and I never saw this. I never saw this. All these things working together, God exposing Jairus' heart, God knocking out the self-righteousness and the self-centeredness. I never saw this, but let me put it to you like this. Here is a noble man. Here is the ruler of a synagogue. Here's a powerful, probably a wealthy and religious man. He's an insider. He's the top of the food chain, okay? Society would bow to him when he walked by. He was distinguished. He had honor. He was morally upstanding. I don't know any other way I can put it. And Jesus made him stop. Here's a man who is facing the most urgent crisis in his entire life. And Jesus said, Jairus, stop. Go wait outside for a minute. There's an there's a unclean old lady here that I need to deal with and make a disciple out of her. Man, that knocks the self-righteousness right out of us, doesn't it? You say, well, yeah, I see what you're saying, but no, 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 hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. 
This story will hit you where you live if you let it. Because I know you think like I do. And you've been serving God. You've been keeping your nose clean. You've been working hard. And there's these delays that come. And you look around and you see a thousand other people who probably aren't on the, the, your top ten what Christianity should look like list. And things are happening for them, man. The opportunities are there. The promotions are there. Their kids get saved at an early age. Their careers are promising. Their marriages are strong and flourishing. Am I right or am I wrong? Am I way off here? Look at this comparison up here. Look at this comparison. We're going to talk more about this next week. Jairus is a man who has a name. This woman, <laughs> you want to know how uh, unesteemed she was? We're not even told her name because probably nobody knew her name. In that society, I probably don't have to tell you women were down here. Unclean women with a 12-year issue of blood flow, they were tainted and, and they couldn't even worship at the, excuse me, at the tabernacle. In fact, if they touched you and you knew they touched you and were unclean, you would be very upset and you would have to go outside the camp for seven days and get cleansed before you even re-entered the tabernacle. But she's a woman, she's unknown, she's poor, weak, unclean, irreligious, weak, private faith, outsider, desperate. He's an insider. He's strong. He has a public faith. I mean, look at the comparison here. What's Jesus doing? He's building his church. He's making disciples. He's knocking the self-righteousness and self-centeredness right out of Jairus. And listen, right out of us too. Isn't he? And we need it to be knocked out of us fast. We need it to be. Guys, listen. Pedigree doesn't mean anything to God. Jesus does things like this. You can put it back up now. He does things like this to show us exactly what he thinks of the standards and the hierarchy of this world. Because we're like, hey, the, the people that were there that day, we're probably thinking what we, we would be thinking. Jesus, don't stop for her. She's not worthy. And let me tell you, that doesn't work with God because you don't bring your he isn't worthy, she isn't worthy into the gospel of the grace of the kingdom of God. It doesn't belong there. Kick that out. Eject it. Okay, because a red light should go on in your head when you start using words like worthy, because none of us are worthy, friends. We have all gone astray. There are none righteous, no, not one. I don't care if you're the ruler of a synagogue or if you're a dirty, unclean um, outsider in that society. The level of the ground, ah, I messed that up, didn't I? The ground is level at the cross, isn't it? Kings and prostitutes sit together at the table of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And if you don't believe that, read the genealogy of Jesus today when you get home. <laughs> oh, it'll do you good to read that and see what kinds of people that Jesus isn't embarrassed to have in his family. There's kings and there's harlots. And I love that because we find that in the church too, right? In fact, let me go further, and this may make you angry. Jesus is going to be more attracted to the most needy person. He is. I mean, this is proof right here. He said, Jairus, you go wait outside. But Jesus, she don't understand, Jairus. Don't be afraid. Trust me. Jesus is building his church. See, this story is here. Jesus could have proven his power over death in a hundred different ways, and he does. It's all over the New Testament. I would submit to you, this story is not so much teaching us Jesus has power over death. It definitely is teaching us that. It's not less than that, but it's much more than that. This story is about Jairus, and it's about me, and it's about you. Jairus' daughter's fine, trust me. She didn't want to come back. She was very happy where she was in the arms of Jesus. I don't know how that works. Jesus is there, but she's, 
just trust me, okay? This wasn't about her getting help. Poor little Jairus' daughter went to be with, with Jesus in glory and get glorified. This is about a man who lost something that was very precious to him. So Jesus is building his church, and he is attracted. It seems to be the most messed up people. And listen, all of Mark's gospel is about this. This is the upside-down kingdom, right? The outsiders become insiders. The powerful become weak. Um, you, you, you gain power by, by losing power. Jesus is the servant ruler. This is the who's in and who's out thing turned on its head. Pedigree doesn't work with God. It doesn't. Dick Lucas, in his notes on this story, writes, Jesus takes the time to comfort and teach an unclean woman with a chronic problem, causing a male church leader in urgent need to wait. Because God doesn't owe us anything, and I kind of like that. I think maybe our society needs a dose of that. We still have some real problems with injustice in America, guys, and inequality. We do. Race, gender, skin color, all those things come into play. Jesus says, don't bring that mindset into my kingdom. But we do anyway. I'm having to pass over a lot of stuff. Here's the last thing. What does delays do? They highlight the cross. You say, what do you mean? Well, listen, if Jairus would have gotten what he wanted when he came to Jesus, his daughter would have just been healed of fever. Now, that's not a small thing. That's miraculous, especially in that day because fevers were deadly. But Jairus got more than he bargained for when he went to Jesus for help, didn't he? And you and I do too. We always get more than we bargain for when we go to Jesus for help. We always do. He came to get a fever cured and he got a resurrection. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I love that. I love that. Jesus says, Jairus, if you would have woken him up that morning and said, you're not going to believe how this day is going to go, man. You're going to be angry and frustrated and sad, but just trust me, it's going to end well for you. It's going to end well for you. Jesus puts out the mockers. Look, I know we're not reading. I don't have time to read every single. I know you're following along with me. Look at this. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? See, he's just the teacher. You, you, can, you can read into that statement. The teacher can't help you anymore. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. You know, there's two other accounts of this, Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel. One of them, he says, get out. I love that. I love it. He says, why are you weeping and making a commotion? Get out. You don't need to be in here. Get out. He goes, he gets the mother and the father, and Peter, and James, and John, he tells them that the, the little girl is only sleeping. Now, what is Jesus doing here? Man, this is, don't miss this. This is powerful. This highlights the cross because Jesus is about to show us that he has ultimate power over death. He's about to show us that. He's about to show us how he has power over death. Because death, because of the, the resurrection and the cross, sleep is the, the New Testament's favorite euphemism for death. Sleep. That's why he says she's not dead, she's only sleeping. And then he walks up to her, he walks up to her, taking her by the hand. You know, Jesus didn't have to go to this house, by the way, folks, you know that, right? He could, he could snap his fingers, say the word, think the thought, and she could have been healed. But Jesus is available, he's accessible, he's interruptible, we've seen that, and he wants to have a personal touch. 
He wants to be there and be present and show his tenderness and care and love. So he shows up, walks in her room. She's probably blue. I mean, the people, understandably, they're making fun. Luke's the physician, and in his gospel, he says she was dead. And they're laughing. They're thinking, Jesus, uh, we know how to check a pulse, and she doesn't have one. And he says, she's sleeping. Get out. And he takes her by the hand, and he whispers these words, Talitha kumi. And that's Aramaic for little child, get up. And you think, this is Jesus saying, arise. No, not really. This is Jesus saying, wake up. Let me tell you what's going on here. Jesus is staring in the face of mankind's worst enemy, the most powerful and formidable enemy we have ever faced, death. Death. And he refers to it as sleep. And he reaches down, as it were, into the jaws of death and grabs that little girl's soul by his hand, and he raises her up. He goes down into the jaws of death itself and raises her up because, listen, because of the cross and the resurrection, because Jesus conquered death and, and our identity is that we're in Christ, we receive the benefits of his death and resurrection, death doesn't represent anything more threatening than a good night's sleep to us. <laughs> That's what Jesus is doing. You realize that? He's, say, he's saying what you would say to your daughter or your son. That's the language here. It's very tender. It's like a pet name, little lamb, literally in Greek, it's little lamb, get up. Wake up, honey. Hey, sunshine, it's time for breakfast. She got up, she walked around. He said, give her something to eat, it's breakfast time. Isn't that amazing? Do you realize what Christianity has done to death? <laughs> it's not a threat, folks. I grew up about two miles from a little taxidermy shop. I've told you this story before, so forgive me. I can say I'm getting old and I forget the stories I tell. My dad took me over there one day. He knew the owner. Man, those were some of the most frightening animals I've ever seen in my life. And that guy had a true gift. He made them look alive and vicious. Sharp claws, slanted eyes, large, looming. There was a bear in there. He even had a Bigfoot. I don't even get into that. There were leopards and lions, bears, tigers. And I remember walking in that room and being absolutely paralyzed with fear, trembling and shaking. And my dad came over and he put his arm around me and he said, son, son, it's okay. They're dead. They can't hurt you. There's no threat here. And when my dad told me that, I can remember walking around, touching them, being able to even appreciate the mysterious power and beauty that those things once represented when they were a threat. That's what Christi Christianity taunts death. Do you realize that? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul says, death, where's your sting? <laughs> Grave, where's your power? Is this the best you can do? The lower you lay me, the higher God's going to raise me. Because listen, guys, i got to be honest with you. I don't want to be a, the downer, Debbie Downer today. Sorry if your name's Debbie. Okay? <laughs> that little girl eventually died again, okay? I don't know how old she was. We don't know the story. He brought her back from death for her parents, but she died again. Just like Lazarus died again. Just like you and I are going to die one day. So the true issue was what does the gospel have to say to me when I'm on my deathbed, does it have any hope for me? Yes, it does. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, don't miss this, shadow of death. What would you rather get hit by, the shadow of a truck or the truck? Huh? Let me tell you, the shadow. Christianity says death represents no power to us. It, it, at one time it was a prison bus and now it's a limo. <laughs> it went from an executioner to an escort. That's what death is now because of what Christ did. Because listen... He took what death was looming and promising and threatening. Jesus took that full frontal. 
He, he went down into the jaws of death and absorbed the wrath of his father for us so that we don't have to be afraid anymore. That's what these delays teach us. If it wasn't for that delay, none of these lessons would be available to us today. Only because of Jesus are these things. We, you know the Bible says we're more than conquerors. You know what it means to just be the victor? It means that you, you, you gave a shutout or they didn't score a point. It was a no-hitter. I'm seeing all this debate right now between Serena Williams and, is it John McEnroe, about who would win what and who's 700th. Listen, a conqueror would, would, would outscore his opponent and shame them and humiliate them. That would be that you, you are a conqueror. But Jesus says, through the Apostle Paul, we're more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors in Christ. I don't know what that means, but I'm looking forward to finding out, folks. Because death doesn't represent any threat to us anymore. Not at all. And I know I have to close here, so let me close with this illustration. I read about the other day the 1986 accident at the Chernobyl nuclear plant. You remember that in the Ukraine? There were four large, uh, radioactive, unstable powerheads up there. And they were leaking out. They were ruptured, and they were leaking out all this radioactive material. Uh, to the extent that 28 people that were... Uh, on staff were exposed to it and the emergency workers died and months and months went by and more people were dying. But it could have been one of the worst disasters in, in, in the history of the world because had all those things, uh, there was a pool that was underneath the reactor and had all of that waste that was leaking down hit that water, it would have created a steam explosion and all the millions of citizens in that city would have been exposed and probably the whole world would have been exposed. But the disaster was averted because three men, three men were willing to dive down into that water and, and, and lift a floodgate even though the water was tainted and polluted with all this radioactive waste. They knew that it would probably be a suicide mission. But they geared up, they had a light, and they swam down into the jaws of what was certain death. And they lifted that floodgate and all the water left and so when all that matter leaked there was no steam and and millions of lives were spared and i thought of that and i thought you know that's exactly what jesus did those men risked their life jesus gave his life he swam down into the jaws of death as it were on that cross in darkness alone in agony as an outsider screaming my god my god why have you forsaken me and he absorbed all the wrath of the father all that judgment that we deserve he took all that on our behalf so that we could say, death, where is your sting? <laughs> he, he was an outsider who became an outsider. He was cursed so that we could be blessed. And guys, that's what delays teach us. They highlight the cross. They remind us of the gospel. They expose our hearts. And God builds his church. He does all those things with these delays. And let's thank him for it. Father in heaven, thank you so much.